0: hello and welcome to emma's podcast so in today's podcast i have a very special guest and i'm very intrigued because i talked to to uh, i'm gonna announce who it is right now jessica hay and uh she's a co-founder of mud city in Chicago, Illinois, but the reason I'm intrigued by her, that was one thing as well, and she gave me that info a while ago, she was a VP at the age of 28, so that is pretty amazing, Um, but I want to know what the adventure of Jessica was to where she is right now, And what did she learn? Because, you know, leadership is one thing. And I talked uh, quite a few um, times on several um, podcasts about leadership. But at the young age of 28, to be a VP can be interesting. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, too, to have a perspective of what happened and what she learned from. But I am so happy to have you today, Jessica. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) So how are you doing today? Really great. Sunny
1: day in Chicago, Chicago summer, best summer, best, best place to have summer, I feel. Um, so I'm feeling pretty good today.
0: Yeah. And you have some very nice jazz club too, by the way, but yes. that's just yes. saying, <laughs> Just saying. do not send me hated email saying it's not true. I was like, yeah, Chicago is a great place for jazz club yes. as I well. I think it's pretty uncontested. I feel like mo- most people would give you that. Oh, yeah. They have no choice. That's that, I'm talking. Yeah. It's my podcast. They cannot say anything. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> so, I am curious about your journey. Yeah. Because um, VP at the age of 28 mm-hmm. uh, for Alex by Jelly Vision, mm-hmm. I want to know how did you end up as a VP? What was that journey in? How did you handle to be such a young age? And I'm sorry, people are say, oh, that's terrible to say that. No, 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 no. There is a reason, okay? Mm-hmm. When you're in your 20s, you're still fresh, meaning you're done with university for school and you're just embarking on your journey to work or in corporate world or maybe start your own business. But I, I have not met, and maybe it's only me, maybe I'm not looking in the right place, but I have not met a 28-year-old uh, VP at all. So I'm curious to know, for you, how did it all get started and to climb that fast into a VP position? Can yeah. you share that with us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's actually a really fun question to answer. Cause I don't feel like I get to like zoom out and look at the entire arc very often, which I think is a very cool thing that you do. Um, the fact that I am really like in business at all is, is interesting to me because when I went to college, I went as an opera performance major. So I, I have was a creative my entire life. I was an opera singer, a classical piano player. I went to college on scholarship to pursue the arts. And I had no intention at, you know, the age of like 21 of being in, you know, the formal business environment in any way. In fact, I was like hyper rebellious to it. Um, and I think that somewhere along the way, kind of attending university for my passion. I, I got a little disconnected and I started to see it as a job, work. Um and I realized, oh, I don't know if I want this thing that's very special to me to become that. Um and so I like I know that there's a lot of people who say like do do what you love for a living and mm-hmm. um like never work a day in your life and like I'm not saying that that's not true, but I think you have to be really careful when you start to conflate your true passions, like the thing that, the things that fill your spirit up, like your safe place things, yeah, your job. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when you're young, especially my generation, we, we just sort of got path to what we were good at. And at a young age, I was told that I was great at music. And so like, I kind of went after that the same way that like many people go after sports um, and end up at college on, you know, like a, a an athletic scholarship and didn't really realize that somewhere down the road, that was going to kind of look a very specific way. And when I got there, I didn't love it. And so I was a junior in college and realizing that I was probably going to have to go get my, you know, master's, if not my doctorate to continue teaching, to supplement my performance income. And I was like, is that, I had to ask a really hard question really young, just like, is that the life I want? And I had to consider walking away from this thing that I had worked on my whole life up until that point. So I felt like I maybe had this unique opportunity to make some really hard decisions very young. And I just said, no. Um, And if anyone is familiar with like how music majors work, none of your credits transfer um, because you've been taking piano classes and like oral theory classes and like choir as credits and like all these things that are hyper specific that like every other major is like of course that is not relevant to us. So I ended up having to like go double time my last years in school to change majors and graduate with a degree in communications. But I feel like what happened for me when I switched from being a performance major to like sliding over into the business world Mm -hmm. is I felt like I was playing catch up. And I think that mentality, like that moment defined a lot of things for everything that came next because I felt very compelled to master in the same way, this world in a much smaller period of time. I had been singing since I was 10, singing competitive, competitively since I was 14. And now suddenly I was trying to understand, but how can I develop that same kind of mastery over this? If I'm picking this craft, I want to master it. And so I think I kind of like brought that with me but then felt like I was behind. And it really created this like propulsion for my career to run at it really, really hard, really,
0: really fast. You must, you know, you made a very good point when it came to the time to make a decision. And I think the hardest part for you, at least you are authentic to yourself because you must've been very heartbroken to realize, you know, I've done that since I'm the age of 10, this is in my blood, this is my passion. Mm-hmm. But this is not what I'm meant to be doing. This should have been a passion, stay on the side, but yeah. not becoming my my um, what's going to get me into my journey. Yeah, that must have been very hard uh, mm-hmm. to come to that realization and figure it out. How, like you said, to turn yourself around, put double time and some more, just to be able. To, like you said, catch up is amazing because you really hit it right in the nail. And I will say, you took the bull by the horn and just made that decision. I don't know if a lot of people have done that mm-hmm. because it takes courage to be able to just do that and come at such a young age, the realization, well, that's not the right path for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I I do think too, and I will say this, like, I didn't know when I was starting like my journey in music that to be an artist is like this could be a potentially I, be, I could be opening up a can of worms but like to be an artist is sort of like a luxury. Um it's a luxury of people who can be funded to do it or who have yeah. the money to survive through mm-hmm. through all of the period of time where you're struggling. And I just didn't come from a background where I had that available to me. I was one of, yeah. I am the first person in my family to, to get a college degree. And so for me, I was, I was sort of looking at what was going to be required of me to do this. And I had to make a decision. Like, do I pursue my art or do I pursue like financial sustainability for myself? And for me, yeah. that's more important. So like, I do think like courageous. Yes. But also I think there was some real like growing up to do in that decision, which was like, and for now, the most important thing for my life is to live a lifestyle where I can control my destiny financially and like really find independence. And that was always going to be pretty hard to do in the arts. And I I have friends who are incredibly talented, who are still doing it, who are still trying. Um, And it was just sort of a decision in the moment Mm -hmm. that obviously I still grapple with from time to time. Um so but it is interesting to kind of ask like how did I become a 28 year old VP of sales at a technology startup in Chicago. Yes. Like it was yeah. there is sort of like a mm-hmm. real feeling of like having to run to defend the choice. Um, yes. Yeah.
0: Because and and you know if people are offended by the the word you use, which to me is not offending, uh luxury, no. Because it takes a lot of time, the courage. If you have, like you said, if you have the money to support you, it's great. But if you don't, Mm -hmm. it makes it more challenging. So you have to make a conscious decision. Is Mm -hmm. it truly for me or not? Yes. And you were honest to your own self. You were authentic to your own self. You just said, okay, I love it. That's going to broke my heart for five minutes. I cannot do it professionally. But that is not what I'm meant to be doing. And you exactly. took a very wise decision that most people would have said, no, I'm going to continue. And, you know, because this is what it is. I refuse to mm-hmm. give up. Yeah. But you did not give it up to just do nothing. However, you shifted to something different mm-hmm. and more powerful. So that's well, thank you. That's very nice
1: to hear. Um, I, I think I wish I could have said that I I like knew all of those things, when I made the decision, I think a lot of courage can be found in those moments of survival that you look back on and, and retroactively learn about a lot about yourself. I do think it also, like, I couldn't just leave the creative part of me behind either. So I think I kind of came into, into my relationship with business on sort of a quest to validate that it could yep. also be a creative endeavor and that it was potentially misunderstood, which I still believe. I have a huge beef with people who really feel like there's creative fields and then there's non-creative fields. And it's like, I think that's something we were taught. Both. Yes.
0: People, people want, yeah, people design your left side of the brain or you the right yes. side. Well, I'm sorry, I'm the mix of both. I do a cocktail every day and whatever pops is whatever pops. Yes. Creativity <laughs> And I think entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs and business owners are creative people. Yep. Have to be. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're gonna decide you know, put a beautiful portrait and draw something on the wall. They're doing it within their business, within their craft. Creativity is everywhere. So and I, I, I do wish like
1: we could sort of break that down for people who are younger and imagining themselves in different roles. Like There is no such thing as any kind of job where you have to be explicitly right brain or left brain. Like some of, some of the most creative people I know are analysts and it is their creativity that allows them to tell incredible stories with numbers. Yes. Like, and it's like, you would, you would find that incredibly counterintuitive. Yeah. No, this is a very, like, this is a quant heavy role. This is data. Yep. Well, data exists Mm -hmm. to tell you something, which is. Yep. Creative, right? Like exactly. It, it's the it's the mix of the two, the blend of the two that I think is unique. But I do think like the rapidity of my career definitely came from this sense that I was starting like on the back foot and that yeah. I had peers who'd been taking business classes forever, who had like internships scheduled, and you know, yeah. like like what was I doing and where was it going? And I just made this big decision and like working really hard to create focus. Um, so I randomly ended up getting an internship at target, having no idea what I had just earned. Cause yep. this was a new space for me. Yeah, Incredible internship, Good. which I found out later is like renowned for being an incredible internship, but I had no idea. And I became like obsessed with how a business that big could build so many processes to govern itself. Like this, this entity, like the way that the supply chain worked, the way that like they actually managed to have incredible store culture, but they had this wildly distributed workforce and like, how were they achieving that? And it was this real moment for me where it was like, I was thrust into a big business for the first time and was like studying it, um, and learned a ton. Anyone who's like worked at in a retail company like that or or worked at target knows that how like data-driven process-driven metrics-driven they are. So I learned about metrics and management, how to talk about that. They were really, really big on teaching everybody the language of target. Target has like a very specific language that they all use with one another. Um, and the way that they talk about their metrics, like you could walk into a, into a team meeting and understand only like 40% of what anybody was saying until you'd like immersed yourself in how they measure and how they talk. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was fascinating. I'm like, this is an entire world that like I didn't know existed. And I I found it to be a a really clear structure for how to win. (laughs) I was like, they drew the map. Like the map is right here. Like I know if I can make this scorecard green, I win the game. Like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that I loved that and hated retail. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, I was like, "How do, how do I keep, how do I keep I getting? It. Yeah, like how do I keep getting this sort of like mm-hmm. measurement and and like all of that, yeah. but not work nights and weekends and and not you know have to you know pick up and go to different stores all the time." And mm-hmm. so I moved to Chicago. Um, and I got my first job in sales and that's like when it all began, I began as a BDR at corporate executive board, again, a job that I had no business having at a company that was far, like I had no idea what I'd lucked into, you know, corporate executive board, one of the best management consultant firm, firms, you know, in the United States, if not the world works with, you know, fortune 500 coined the challenger sale, if you're a sales junkie, like they wrote like one of the most preeminent sales methodologies that still like prevails today. It was like an MBA that I didn't know I was gonna get because I had mm-hmm. access to these best in class best practices. I was selling them, talking about them all the time, and just loved sales because it was this ecosystem in which I got to keep all of those, like the scorecarding, the inputs, the outputs, the predictability. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also got innate I got to be innately creative in the way that I interacted with people and the way that um I could, you know, like prep my process and the words that I could use and the stories that I could tell, it felt like I'd lucked into, on complete happenstance, this career path that was sort of made for me, um, which was just very lucky,
0: I think. Well, you took a leap of faith when you made your change and you went into the unknown, which is, I think, is the scariest part for anyone because when you're used to your surroundings, you're used to your own bearings, you have your, your footing, everything is fine. And also then you have to make a decision that will change the course of your journey. Mm-hmm. It's going into the unknown. Yeah, and A lot of people don't know and they don't have faith. And yeah. the deal that you took that first step and said, well, I'm going to go there, I'm going to do this. And you went with the flow. So the universe brought you everything you needed, the opportunities for you to learn. Because yeah. everyone that you went from Target to the to the consulting company to wherever experience you had that leads you to where you are today. And a lot of people don't understand that. I have been That's mm-hmm. why well, you were talking about Target. I'm like, God, oh, I was at Target twenty plus years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and like you you probably have pretty good things to say about it. Like, like I feel like I feel like they you know, like retail just in general gets a bad rep, but like they built a pretty darn good company over there. Um, and it, it, was, it was a pretty big masterclass for me to get to study it.
0: I think the best one is still well do Walmart because mm. they got every single sales. I, I teach, uh, I do a class actually on sales and market dominating position, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And uh, I use Walmart for that because a lot of people don't understand the sales. I said, you don't yeah. have to have somebody next to your shelf you get got mm-hmm. up sales, cross sales, bond sales, bundle, super size, one size, whatever you need yeah. over there. They, they are, to me, yeah. at the head of the game. But Target was a good experience because this is at the time when they were building KPI and I was part of it. It was very, very interesting as a consulting person. Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting to see how they were running their stuff running things i didn't like the merger and acquisition what they did to daytons and mervins because mervins was making a ton of money and they were reporting it wasn't true Mm
1: -hmm. and i
0: wasn't in agreement with it because i saw the numbers and like that's not true mervins was making a ton of money yeah they took stuff from um daytons and spit it out and i'm like no you should for me they should have kept those companies and let it run because they were making a ton of money but yeah that was their their things that to me personally for what i saw over two decades ago, I'm not in agreement with what I've done, but again, that's, you know, shareholders, whatever they want to do, that's their call. But it was very interesting. So now you're starting with with a different company and how did you went from uh, your sales to move and become a VP? How this happened?
1: So it's a really good question. Um, My time at Corporate Executive Board was really important um, because I got to work with, I think to date, some of the smartest people I've ever met. Um, And virtually everyone that I worked with or for there is now a CRO, an investor has spun up their own consult. I mean, like every, it's just absurd how many of those people went on to go build things. And you almost wonder like, what about that company at that time, like attracted us all, but like it was. Some incubator. um, I call it some incubator. Yeah. And I, and like we all. Insisted naturally on just being like exceptional was like the culture, but it didn't feel like it was like being wrung out of you necessarily. Like it was just.
0: Organic. Yeah.
1: And I don't know if it's something that naturally comes from like the kind of best in class content that they put out sort of demands that in return. Um, but I got to work with some of the smartest people I'd ever met and I got to sell, you know, these best practices to fortune 500 leaders. Like some, some of the meetings that I sat on, I'm like, I had no business as like a 23 year old sitting in a meeting with this, you know, the chief revenue officer, of you know, fortune 100 company and like listening to them talk about how they were thinking about the next five years of their business, you know, like mm-hmm. that was such an exposure, that I think that business could uniquely give me. And it got me really thinking, well, these really big companies are being really well-serviced by these best practices, like frameworks work, right. And they yep. work for the biggest and the best. Where don't frameworks exist, but maybe should. And I was in the middle of Chicago and looking around at the tech community and I was sort of like, well, what happens if you sort of take some of these ideas that i've learned here just by proxy of talking about them and selling them and seeing them in action all day every day and move to a company that doesn't have this kind of infrastructure like does it still work and so i left ceb which was like a large company um ultimately ended up getting acquired by gartner and went to tech in chicago which was like a frontier at the time i mean like tech in general is like a frontier um, and I like sat down and I looked around and it was like the wild, wild West, um, <laughs> for the, it's truly what it was like. Yep, and I know yep. that's how a lot of people, that's what a lot of people say. I think it's shocking, especially coming from like the targets of the world and like the CEBs of the world who like existed on such like regimented structure to then land in an institution that like hadn't built any of that yet. Mm-hmm. Like I've never been on the other side. And I was like, oh, like they don't have process yet. And so <laughs> I actually like, like I had joined as an account executive, you know, like I was not, I did not join Jellyvision as a leader and I joined Jellyvision at a very specific time. Jellyvision was, you know, had historically been an agency, a gaming company, and they had just spun up a product, Alex, which was a, a benefits decision support tool for large enterprises. And they were figuring out how to become a product company and a technology company. And I just joined at a very specific time where that entire piece of the business was getting built out. And I think I was like their sixth AE. Um, And I just started to use the processes and put the processes in place kind of without being asked. And it was working. And then at one point, I kind of raised my hand. I went to talk to the CEO and I said, hey, you guys have a really big pipeline problem. You're hiring all of these AEs there's not going to be enough business. They're going to churn. Would you mind giving me the business development team? I'll turn it around. I'll fix it. I'll fix pipeline for you. Put her, put together a presentation for her. She was like, take the job, like whatever, like do it, which that was a terminal point, like turning point, which it was like, I brought a problem to an executive who gave me the reins to solve it. It doesn't always happen that somebody comes and says, I have a solution and they're given the space yep. solve it. I think that is something uniquely beautiful and kind of romantic about tech is like that tends to happen in tech. Um, and so I did, I built out a really, really high performing team. I grew a team of like two to a team of 35 in like under six months um, jelly vision. I think by the, by the time that I left, they were still like almost 90% outbound driven. So that same team continued to produce about 90% of the revenue for the company, Um, and it was all on these best practices. Like it was, it was just putting frameworks, right. Defining frameworks, putting them in place, teaching them all the same templates that I'd sort of fallen in love with throughout my career, putting them in place, creating them. And then when I had sort of done that, then, you know, I stepped into the VP of sales position and started to do that for the account, account executive team. I built a channel program, um, and yeah, I, I promoted at 28, which, was felt honestly feels like blur. Like it felt like a blur that I kind of like done all of that since
0: I made the decision to not be a singer. Is, is it, isn't it amazing? It's like, mm-hmm. holy moly, who would have known you would end up a VP, but such a young age. So what did you learn? What was the hardest lesson for you to learn as a VP? I know there is probably many, but you're looking be like, okay.
1: <laughs> for me, mm-hmm. It's wild because I think I'm still learning lessons from that experience. Like great. hindsight is like so 2020 and I feel like I'll run into things that feel familiar and mm-hmm. all of a sudden get to reassess them again. Um, but I think for me, the big one was you can only be as great a leader as you are healthy and grounded. So I think that like young leaders especially force our ambition on everyone. Like yes. we think, I thought you should care as much as I care. Like why? Yeah. Like the, like look like I was mm-hmm. and and like you know it, it happens because you get kind of used that way in the organization too. Like you become kind of the poster child for what's possible. Yeah. But like that's just not realistic either you know, like that was a very specific choice that I had made that did come with a lot of sacrifices. I didn't have yep. a good work-life balance for a really long time because I yep. had committed to that not being the priority. Like that was a choice that I had made, but that's mm-hmm. not fair to expect everybody to feel that way. Um, and I didn't understand anything about boundaries. I didn't understand anything about, um, I, like i didn't have great executive presence yet like i didn't have a ton of gravitas and so i feel like i was always kind of a like i i was re, i was a really really talented kind of loose cannon
0: <laughs> yeah i can see that <laughs> yeah i I can, I can see that and yeah. but you know if you do, you have not learned all of that and you have not it's not even learning it's experiencing because your trajectory when like you know A rocket, basically. And it was a fast rocket. It wasn't the slow version of it because there are some people who will have the opportunity to know more about it and be grounded and understand more. But it's still, you know, people, you know, we can call us a 21 adult. I'm sorry. Uh, Maturity comes with age. You can have the best maturity you You think you got. Yeah. No, you can't. You can't that was really hard
1: for me though. Um, I would work with coaches. I would, you know, and I just, I didn't have the perspective yep. and, it, and I, I couldn't have had the perspective like there. And I didn't know how to be okay with the fact that I didn't have perspective. And like, that was a, so I always, I almost started to feel Like, I needed to be someone I wasn't. Like, what I was being asked to be was something other than I currently was. So you you
0: created a persona.
1: Yes. And I think a lot of people do that. I do think that's pretty common.
0: Yes, if you don't know, you're going to pretend. And I think that's the hardest part, too. That means it's even more tiring to do that because... You have to keep that facade, which is not who you are, which makes it harder too. It added more stress than anything else on the top of it too.
1: And I think there's a unique, you know, VPs of sales are already and like, just by proxy of being, you know, the face of revenue at a company, you are the one of the most scrutinized executives at the company. Um, you are constantly being asked to do more, often to do more with less, um, your, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's just a pressure cooker of a role. Yes. And that's something that I was like unfamiliar with. It's not something I didn't understand, but I think I didn't understand that not everyone understood revenue that like, when you step mm-hmm. into the role of VP and sale VP of sales, which you become is sort of like a terminal educator, yep. to everyone who doesn't understand, Yeah the way that the engines work. And I think like at the time that I got into sales, sales was becoming, it used to be this thing, like you either had it or you didn't like sellers. Yep. They're like, they either had the art or they didn't. And there's no way mm-hmm. you can measure, you can't measure this art, like this person who can just figure out, you know, like which words to put in what places. And by the time that I was getting into sales, it was much more like, but actually what if it's art meets science and it was becoming like really regimented. It was becoming really measured. Like the function of revenue operations was up and coming like systems like Salesforce were, you know, cracking all this visibility. And so I feel like we've kind of, as a function, been like way over here in terms of being too much of an art, yeah. I think we pushed all the way back to, to almost measuring beyond reason. Mm-hmm. And now we're in the process of sort of figuring out like what, what the middle looks like. And I was definitely I think coming at it from that angle of like measure everything like control yep. the engine um because I didn't yet really know like how to like engage and inspire um
0: yes.
1: I was a I was a process wizard yeah. um which is great but it's not everything
0: no it's not especially when you need to connect with people and you need to get them going so You know, we always say the greatest leader, when you walk them, you will walk on water. You're listening to them and it's like, yep, I can do it. It's inspirational. But when you don't have that aspect, oh, it's not yet mature enough Mm -hmm. to be there. It makes it harder because the numbers are there, the numbers tell you the story, but the numbers and the way you communicate the numbers will not inspire the person who's supposed to be doing the sales unless you find the right word.
1: Yeah, and it was, uh, I think people also don't talk about There's a whole world of people who, who don't come from families who work in this environment. You know, like my, like I come, come from kind of like a lower middle-class background. I was raised in Iowa. Like I said, I'm like one of the first members of my family to get a four-year degree. So like my life was very alien and foreign to my family. I was a young VP. I was a woman. VP of sales, which is very rare. It's still highly rare. Um, and it was very isolating to Mm -hmm. sort of be now alone, like with, without many peers and also without much of a support system who like understood what I'd kind of been running after for so long and that it it kind of like grinded to a halt for me where I was like, Mm -hmm. well, I've got to figure out how to like internalize this and make this make sense and bring my own value to it because I'm not sure that I think it was like waiting for people to sort of be like, wow, that's so impressive.
0: Yeah.
1: And like, that was not the response from my family. It was sort of like, why don't we ever see you? And like, why are you working so hard? And like it, it, I don't think it was necessarily understood. (laughs)
0: most likely wasn't and that's what happened when you're in those situations like that so you're a vp you're doing all of this so and somehow over the rainbow, you're gonna leave that position you're Mm -hmm. gonna create your own business you're gonna you're gonna be the founder what got you inspired to do that
1: so i think i had I, my career at Jellyvision ended in just like wild burnout, um, which is not surprising. It's the way that a lot of stories of young executives end. And, you know, right now, like the, the tenure for a VP of sales is like less than 18 months in general. So like it was burn bright. And I just like, I couldn't sustain that. And so I actually like, I stepped away from the role and I didn't work for like a year. Cause I just, I I had been, you know, basically since that moment I changed my major, I was like, r- I had just been running yeah. um, at yeah. a pace that was pretty unsustainable, culminated in one of the most unsustainable positions mm-hmm. that you find yourself in. And I just like worked on myself. I was like, what do I want to do? What is the lifestyle I want to live? How can I, how can I start to work somewhere that. I don't feel my core values sort of being brushed up against that. I don't feel like I'm kind of giving pieces of myself away that are very important. Yep. And that's not Jellyvision, incredible culture. They were a great company, but like just by proxy of, of how you can often be asked to lead teams as a revenue leader to get more revenue. Did it feel that's right? Why, yeah. yeah. And so I was like, I think the only way I can do that is if I do it for myself, like I think the only way I can really have that sort of balance, have that, be able to be able to stand behind my approach, be able to really like hold my own. in the conversation is to kind of do it on my own. And also we built some incredible things at Jellyvision. And I had that same question of like, what if we mm-hmm. can pick up these templates and mm-hmm. put them down? Like, does this work if we put them down at many startups versus one? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of how Mud City was born. And our mission as a company is to build sustainable revenue that's yep. good for humans and their companies. Yes. Because I think when companies are told to grow at any cost, you see mm-hmm. some breach of ethics um, mm-hmm. and humans treat humans unkindly.
0: Yep.
1: And I think that there's a like pervasive philosophy that that's required. And I just don't believe that to be true at all.
0: Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's come back from the good old days, I think. Um, when I started oh, over 25 years ago, Yay. <laughs> it was uh, in manufacturing. That was one that was the second after Target. I moved to the manufacturing world, it was automotive, and uh it was the boys club.
1: I no, can't imagine i honestly it was
0: can't. the boys club so the most interesting part of it because i was a consulting person so that wasn't i wasn't a over there they wanted to hire me but uh, i turned it down because the director wanted to go cheap i'm like no not that cheap buddy i don't work for five dollars an hour yes so, there we go not with my brain i'm like no i put well yeah. i have them to put a bunch a bunch of stuff in place but When I went in the first time, well, I know something was wrong, which wasn't like, that's why I went in. I'm like, you're not telling me the truth. There is a problem where you, where we are guys. But it was the old boys job. Do uh, all of the managers in that supply chain were male and Mm -hmm. the only female had indirect material, meaning packaging. She was a manager for the packaging stuff. I'm like, really? So she cannot do the plastic. She cannot do the metal. She'd metal. She cannot do engine. No, the females were not. All they were, below and they were their reps and that was it of course so and talking to them they were not taking listening to any woman either and when I came in me I was just uh, I moved at I was a junior at that point or a senior I don't remember which level I was as an analyst but at the end I'm like I'm gonna sit down I'm gonna you know say what I gotta say and that's what I did so I was the only female they were listening to believe it or not And the rest were all male words and chauvinism and everything else. So I believe that culture of threatening and I've seen it and it's still here where people condition others to, well, this is the best job you're going to get. We're going to treat you the way we want it to. We're going to traumatize you because that's what we want. It is people need to con-
1: call it what it is. I'm so glad you use that word. People need to call it what it is. We're we're traumatizing yeah. people. Yeah. Yes, absolutely.
0: you traumatize people. You condition yeah. people to think that if you if you, if you think the the grass is green on the other side, it's not. So you're not gonna go to find a better job. So they condition people, and I'm seeing it because I had people who have done things to me for over two years, and I fought it. Uh, um, that will be condition and threats and everything that comes in between. And they try to break people down. And it's like those companies should not be there. Those people should be out of work, but they're still working. But the way they treat people to me is not right. But yeah. a lot of companies doing this and that's the lack of leadership. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, I mean, I could have a whole nother hour long conversation with you just about like the arc of the last two years and like, Oh, we could do that. We could come back. We could schedule
0: another uh, meeting. I mean, like that, like
1: oh, Lord, what we've yes. seen in terms of like how people recovered from the pandemic, mm-hmm. the yep. the ego that followed it, and some of the like yep. very, I think, kind of like greedy choices that were made to recover from it, and then yep. to now be sort of plunged in another soft market. Yep. And to see all of that play out, and so it's it's rare that you see that play out in such a small yeah. period of time. That's mm-hmm. usually spread out, you know, over a long period of time. And so I think people will be studying this specific time in history for like a long time. But yeah, for
0: sure.
1: But yeah. I I just Simon Sinek has like an incredible video that we kind of used when we were developing our mission at Mud City. That was like, why do we have to mm-hmm. kind of keep to these? old ideals that we have to serve the shareholder first. Like what if we served the employees first? Yes. Like what if you just simply run a business and that's the only thing that you change? Like what happens? Like what happens if you start looking everything, like everything through the lens of like, does this serve the employees? Mm -hmm. Like what would be possible? And in the fact he, he talks a lot about like how we, we just got stuck in an idea that was never meant to be forever, you know, yes. like kind of this concept that, that like wall street was built upon. And, and now it's been accepted as this like gospel of business, mm-hmm. but it's yep. proven itself over and over to get, again, to like, not be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and We still cling to it. Um, yes. and I, it's like that same entrepreneurial spirit. It's like, well, who are going to be the people who, who write the businesses of the future who like buck that? You know what I mean? I think that's, that's like what I really want to see. And like, I, cause I had to ask myself a lot, like what was wrong with me that I couldn't, I was very talented VP of sales. I had very talented reps. I had a great product and I was putting up the most revenue that the company had ever seen. And it wasn't enough. And I had, I was like, something's wrong with me. I'm broken. And like I had to do a year's worth of work to realize, like, what if I'm not broken? What if the systems are broken?
0: Yeah, the systems is broken because I <laughs> do great sales. I think people, see, here's the problem. Uh, when it's all about revenue, and I understand, okay, we run our own business, you run yours, you run mine. Yeah, totally. We know money has to come so we can pay everybody. We can pay our bills. We yeah. can do everything. But not everything should be driven by revenue because if you get great employees, and like you said, you refocus on the employees, the employees, the money is gonna come like there's no tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But it should be the main thing will be do we have a healthy business and that includes employees. Yeah. Not well, the shareholder decided we're going to make $50 million here and right now. So we're going to start to cut head. We're going to start to push people. We're going to start to be rude. We're going to start to threaten people because we want the revenue. Or
1: like, yeah, exactly. Like literally exactly that. And it's like, we talked to so many companies. I think we have a unique like front row seat because we happen to be talking to companies as they're, you know, about to raise capital or who have just raised capital. And so we, we kind of get to see behind the curtain a little bit more than, you know, the average person. But I think for us, it's like six months ago, it was like, what's profitability? Yes. Just grow, grow at any cost. Yes. And it was like, I feel like we were screaming, like, no, like that's so bad. That's so hard on your people. That's so hard on your systems, your team. Like you don't have the infrastructure. You don't have the enablement. You don't have any of the things to make this growth like foundationally solid. And for like six months later, well, Uh, you know, actually we're going to have to cut a bunch of those resources that we just went out and we, and we got, because they're just not efficient. And it's like, I just don't believe that, that we can't be better than that, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: I agree. Mm -hmm. So you, so after one year of source searching and what you wanted to do, Mm -hmm. you start your company. Yeah. So how scary was it or exciting was it? Well, it was really scary because I started
1: it in March of 2020. Okay. Literally March of 2020, yep. the, month of the pandemic blew up the entire world. It was yes. <laughs> like, like <laughs> I was. I think about that. I'm like, what was the universe saying to me in that moment? Well, like, you know, everything like, is
0: possible. Everything is possible. It's telling yeah. you you're on the right spot. You're in the right place. You're good. You're doing good. And people will say, Jessica. You're not all right. What is wrong <laughs> with you? Actually, it was meant to be. It sounds crazy. But- I would say
1: 100 percent of people expected that we would just call it and, and I close. Yeah, yeah, and and no one would have blamed us. It would have yeah. been. Like, it would have been like, listen, it's just too hard to get this business off the ground. It's like this isn't the right time. Except my experience at corporate executive board, like the Challenger sale was was coined in the great recession and like mm-hmm. that's when they built it that's when yep. and i just had I, re- I knew this material and i'm like no no no, no! like the recession is when sales matters most yes the recession is when all of the broken processes that you've been in yep. break mm-hmm. and like that's exactly what sort of happened Is companies were finally like open to augmentation who previously yep. weren't they were asking for help where they previously yep. wouldn't, and it actually it, it worked for us um and like it was really hard <laughs> it, was, it was like it was like holding on like every single day and just yep. like knowing that it was gonna yep. get better yep. um but like it's you know we're two two years later um which I always like think like two years into a business is when you can finally like breathe a sigh of relief yep. because like like the government is even like oh you're like less risky now like you might make it
0: <laughs> yeah you're okay yeah we'll take on you in six months but you look okay
1: Yeah. But like before two years, they're like, you're barely a thing. Like we don't, we don't even bother with you. Um, but you know, like we made it, we have a team, you know, we worked really hard to, to try to, to try to live by our mission, to only take clients on who are interested in sustainable growth. Um, we fired clients, (laughs) we walked away, um, because you sometimes have to do that if you're going to like really live in alignment with your mission Yeah. and like I have generated now, I feel like I'm finally generating some like real wisdom from like the culmination of my career to this point. Like I feel a little bit more settled. I feel a little less urgent at sure. the time. Things are a little less on fire. Like I'm, I can feel myself kind of like gaining the things that I remember at 28 years old, I was being told I didn't have. And at the yeah. only now is I know that I couldn't have had them then it was like a ridiculous conversation to have about my not Mm -hmm. having them because those weren't things that I could go get with anything other than time um so perspective is nice now I would say
0: that's good. There is a maturity, there is a growth, there mm-hmm. is everything you needed. So that's what I love. It's just the fact that you can look at it and just say, okay, I'm in a better place now. I got the maturity. I got everything I have. I have the right team mm-hmm. and I have learned the leadership and I'm continue to learn and grow, which yeah. I think it's wonderful. This is what it's all about, the growth and the journey that took you there. Mm-hmm. that's never I I know,
1: you know, it's hard to know like what will be in five years, like no more services firm and Like there's a lot of people who will say like services is a less exciting or a less interesting kind of business than technology and you know like there's there's a lot of like well you're a founder but you're a founder of a services firm and it's like yeah like there's like a whole new like layer of challenges now and you know like I'm trying to decide what I want this to grow into and like all of that Um, but to me too it's like and if it didn't like what, what a ride, (laughs) like what a, what an arc and, and like how much wisdom and how much perspective and how much exposure I've had
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and growth Mm -hmm. just by putting my, putting myself in a position where like I had to build it. I had to learn it. I had to productize it. I, you know, like I had to do those things. Um, and I think the one thing I can say is it's never been boring.
0: Well, that's, that's what is great. This is what yeah. it's all about. And you will continue because you have to use your creativity. You have to use your intuition. You have to listen to your customers as well to see how your products are evolving as well. It's like services or products are evolving with your clients. So you're going to learn more and do more, but it's mm-hmm. wonderful. So, what would you say to your younger self that you know now than you did not know before? Just like chill out,
1: chill out, chill out. Like the world's not on fire. You're going to get there. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. Um, and I think it, it would be nice to have told her like, it's okay that you don't have these things. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I I think you also have to be very aware when you bet on a 28 year old VP that they're yep. going to come without some components um, and like you have to make those trade-offs. And so I think it's like, it's okay to be where you are. Um, and I try to, I, every day I try to tell myself that still, because it's very easy when you run your own business to have like extreme FOMO over what you're not doing or what you could be doing or like all the thoughts and
0: <laughs>
1: like that, that's the torture <laughs> now, like that's my torture now. But like, mm-hmm. I just try to remind myself, it's like, I can only be doing what I can be doing. I only have the resources to do yeah. what I'm doing. Yep. I can only solve for what's in front of me, because mm-hmm. um, otherwise I'm like right back to chasing. Like I'm exactly. right back to living unsustainably. So I think like that. The, the big learning was like all of that was coming from me.
0: Yeah, you know, and running yourself and stay balanced as much as you can. Yeah, that is fantastic. So what's in? Uh, what other projects are you going to do with not Oh, yeah. Where yeah. Are you going to be? So Any projects, anything exciting? Right now, you know we.
1: Just a year ago, we kind of refactored like all of our services offerings, and we've been kind of operating a little bit in stealth mode, making sure everything is you know going well. so we'll be doing some like big announcements about you know new products uh new services offerings and um I think one of our goals is to just be talking to people more, um, because we obviously can't work with a hundred percent of companies, but if we're really going to service our mission, then we have to be talking to them.
0: Yep.
1: Um, and so like, how do we get other companies to think about what sustainable revenue means and that it's an option. Um, and I think we live that every day because we're bootstrapped. Like we've accepted zero dollars of funding, not even a friends and family. So like, there's nothing more sustainable than bootstrapping. Yep. Um, that's really important to us to keep doing that. Um, mm-hmm. It's also where the freedom comes from to, to keep living the life
0: that you want to live. Exactly. That's that's wonderful. So what I would like to do, because we're at the top of the hour and I know we're both of us are busy. I want to invite you for another. Uh, sure. Yeah, because this you great. Were, you're so
1: you ask the best questions like that was a very cathartic hour of my life.
0: Good. I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is what I do unscripted. I just go with the flow and I you want to have, know more. You
1: have a talent, I have to say.
0: Yeah, I can make sing the birds. I, when I was younger, and I'm going to say that and now it's going to be on the air forever. So I'm going to come and admit it, it. When I was younger and I still do it. When I need information, I will take the time to talk to people and people will give me information that I need to know. <laughs> the universe has decreed it. I, I should, I always said I should have worked for the CIA or something like that. Because uh, yeah, I could not yeah. talk to people out of anything. Like, no, definitely. <laughs> uh, you will give me your credit card number without realizing it. Yay. <laughs> I love it. But no, I really want to invite you for a second episode because um, I want to know more. And uh, it's it's so fascinating to talk to you. It's it, There is so much insight. And for me, for the younger generation, because I, again, I don't want to be me to the younger generation, but there is an idea that they can become a VP, they can run their own company in 15 minutes, but they don't understand that you need to go through the process. And when you're not exposed, you know, you're in your incubator at school and you got great ideas, great dreams, but the school is the school. The real life, it's a different way as a student of life, you go in. And you have, you have a huge
1: responsibility as a leader to
0: do right by people. Exactly. And it doesn't happen in 15 minutes. That's no. something that people realize is like, I, I have an idea. I want to be, I'm, I will be by tomorrow morning after my breakfast, a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Good for you, unless you uh, have a family who's very wealthy or you have a trust fund. Perfect. If you don't, then it's going to take time. But there, yeah. the maturity and the wisdom, like that's what I wanted to ask you about when you were 28 where you were because maturity was, you're a youngster. It's like we're all a youngster in our 20s. And we might think we know better, but we don't because we don't have the experience. And it's just the beginning of the journey. Thank you so much, Jessica, for being with us today. It was a blast and I am very humbled. We had an opportunity to talk together. However, we will reinvite Jessica just to let you know for part two. You are such an amazing conversation with her. All my love. Bye.